Dan Toth is great. I like it. My name is Josh. I'm on the teaching team. I get to unpack a few Proverbs with you this morning. I'm just going to show my cards on the front end. How many of you guys have ever done a spiritual gift test? Raise your hand. Okay, I've done a few. Uh, every time, the very last gift is generosity for me. It is the thing I'm worst at in life, according to these geniuses who put together these spiritual gift tests. So I am going to teach on generosity. My number one gift is always teaching or preaching. So my gift to you this morning is to teach you all <laughs> how to be generous with your money because it's never going to be a thing for me. Just kidding. Uh, those spiritual gift tests just reveal what God has kind of made naturally easy for you. But generosity is something the Bible over and over says should become more and more easy to everyone as you get to know the character of God. So this is a thing for all of us. This last week has been interesting because I try to live in what I'm teaching. I try to actually apply it. I know that's strange, but I try to actually, I've written two checks to charities of people who have come to me. I'm like, I've written a check for charity since I was like 21 years old. And I've not in general, but people who've come to me, come to the door with great causes. I'm like, all right, I'll give. And it's because I've been sitting under God's word and realizing this is really what God's about. And I'm not, nobody's going to be asked to write any checks today, I promise. We're just going to talk through the book of Proverbs specifically and how God kind of wants us to see this area of rich and poor, wealth and poverty, and how the two interact. Uh, Martin Luther is kind of the king of our faith in a lot of ways. And I read this on Twitter from another pastor in the area. He said this, next to the proclamation of the gospel, it is the task of a good pastor to be mindful of the poor. Martin Luther is our Bible guy. Bible, truth, justification by faith, truth, Bible. And Martin Luther also says, secondary to that, if that, is to be mindful of the poor. So this is a reality. Wherever you open this Bible up to, you're going to be hit with reality that you need to be mindful and generous towards the poor. It's just the way God's made it abundantly clear how he feels on this topic. So we're going to look specifically at the book of Proverbs today. I have four questions I'm going to answer to kind of walk us through this morning. First one is, what is a simple view of rich and poor? What is the wise view of the rich and poor? How should the rich relate to the poor? And then finally, we're going to end on what is God's desire for both rich and poor? What's, what's his heart behind all this? So those are the four questions we're going to unpack. I want to pray because the Spirit is going to do what he's going to do. Let's ask him to join us. Father, you know what needs to be said. You know what needs to be said corporately. You know what needs to be said individually in the hearts of every person in this room, God. This is a topic that is not foreign to you, but is primary to your character. You're a giving, generous, good, gracious God. So God, help us to sit under your word today. Help us to sit under these wise teachings in the book of Proverbs and be shaped more and more into your image. We love you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So out of the gate, I'm very simple. You'll see this. Here's my definition on the front end. Just make sure we're on the same page. Poor is simply lacking resources. Rich would be you're abundant in resources. So you can define yourself however you want based off that definition. If you want to use the United States definition of poor, poverty level is started at $12,000 annual income per person. And for every person added to your household, it goes up around $4,000. So if it's you and a wife, it's $16,000. If you're below that, you're in poverty. And last I read, I think 16% of our country is under the poverty line. 
So add 4,000. So you can be technical about it or you can be simple like me and poor is your lacking resources. Rich is your abundant in resources. And, but the Proverbs has a lot to say to both. So here's our first question as we kick off is what is a simple view of the rich and poor? What is the simple view? Not the wrong view, not the right view, but the simple, like starts to get it, but doesn't get the whole picture. I wrote this, the reasons and reality for wealth and poverty is simple. You get what you deserve. So that's a simple view of wealth and poverty. You get what you deserve. A few Proverbs we're going to walk through. Here's the first one. Whoever is slothful will not roast his game. But the diligent man will get precious wealth. See what that's saying? You work hard. If you're diligent, you will get what you deserve. If you're slothful, lazy, pathetic, a big weenie, you will get what you deserve. Not as much money as this guy. That's in God's word. So it's a, it, these are generally true statements. But it's still just a simple view. Next one says this. The backslider in heart will be filled with the fruit of his ways, and a good man will be filled with the fruit of his ways. Proverbs over and over again talks about good or righteous or evil or unrighteous. And a lot of these Proverbs tie good, righteous people to wealth, and they tie them to hard work and diligence. And over here, they tie poor people to lack of hard work, slothfulness, and wicked ways. That is the simple view of this topic. Now, is that wrong? No, it's just simple. It's there for a reason. God wrote a lot of these Proverbs for a reason. And as I've been just dwelling on this topic, this is the part that Aubrey said, don't spend too much time on it, but she's not the preacher, so here we go. <laughs> but I think this part is the one that I want to jump over to quickly. Because as a youth pastor and as a former high school teacher, I think we're missing a lot in terms of these simple proverbs in our day-to-day -day comings and goings. So why we need this view of rich and poor, these simple proverbs. The first thing I wrote is parenting is worthless without this foundation. If you're raising a kid apart from the reality that you reap what you sow, you should work hard. You, all these sorts of proverbial statements from the Lord, your parenting is fundamentally worthless. Because what are you raising? Just an expectant beggar who's lazy and turdish and all these things that describe younger people. I don't think that's a word. <laughs> but parenting is worthless without this reality. Like life, here's Proverbs. Life is hard. Shut up. Go to work. Work a long time. Don't get a lot of wealth on the front end. Use your wealth with wisdom. And in due time, way down the road, you'll probably enjoy some of your wealth. That's kind of the simple. The other one is, don't be lazy. If you're lazy, your life's going to come out short of what you want. You won't get good gifts to enjoy. Don't be a sloth. Stop whining. All these sorts of things. How many of you guys have ever complained about a millennial? To their face or behind their back, raise your hand. Okay, I'm a millennial. I am the poster child for millennialism. I'm kind of on the older end. But here's just something I've realized on, on my people, 30-somethings, younger, middle 30s, we'll say. There's a way we now view grandparents. I don't know if you've picked up on this. There's a way we filter who the better grandparents are in our life. 
And it's a simple filter. Do they offer me free babysitting? (laughs) Whenever I want it. Who's your favorite grandparent? Oh, my dad said. Why? He babysits for us. So what about the other side? Oh, they're worthless. Worthless. (laughs) That's a true statement. That should be in Proverbs, but I didn't get a chance. That's how we filter. So here's just my dilemma as I sit amongst my other 30-somethings and we start judging everyone based off if they'll babysit for us so we can go out and have a drink. (laughs) Where did we get that from? (laughs) Y'all. Our parents have created this culture where any void in a kid's life is filled almost immediately by the parent. Any hardship is immediately removed by the parent. Fast forward to 35-year-old Joshua. When I don't have a babysitter, I look to my parents because I want them to fill that void. That is a Proverbs problem. That's not how Proverbs says life works. You work hard. Don't expect. Shut your mouth. Work hard. Work hard. Work hard. Work hard. Work hard. That's a simple view, but it's important. Here's the other thing. Hard work is missing in our culture. My dad's a sprinkler fitter. He puts sprinklers into buildings so they, when the fire comes, it puts it out. His complaint to me all the time is, you can't find good young work anymore. There's a guy who has an AC company at this church. His thing is, you can't find good work anymore. Talk to any blue-collar person in this church who runs a blue-collar type company, and they'll say, you just can't find good, hard-working people anymore. Whose problem is that? That's theirs. Or it's a discipleship problem that bled into the church when you guys were parenting us. And your top priority became not the development of this kid, but the removal of all blocks in his life. Life sucks. Your job sucks sometimes. You keep showing up. What if I don't like my boss? You keep showing up. Yeah, but that's not how it worked when my mom was raising me through elementary. Every time I didn't like a teacher, she took me out of that class. You're telling me that's not how it works? No, that's not how it works. We need these. Lastly, being poor is never the goal of this life. Proverbs is clear. It doesn't idolize money. It just says it like it is. Providing for yourself and being able to be generous is the goal. This is all simple views. Here's the danger, though. Why having only this view of Proverbs, this very simplistic if-then, is dangerous? The first one is prosperity theology. Prosperity theology rises and falls on this. If you're righteous, full of faith, you will be blessed. If you're unrighteous, lacking in faith, you won't be blessed. Period. End of our theological statement. That's dangerous because the Proverbs is not that simple at all. It has these simple statements which are there for us in our child rearing, in our development of young people for sure, but it doesn't end there. Here's the other reason. We start to think that we are self-made. If your only Proverbs in your head have to do with diligence versus slothfulness, working hard versus being lazy, and you've kind of camped out on a theology of a very simple view of rich and poor, you will start to assume, as I have, that you are the reason for your good fortunes. All the time, without exception. Like, this was me until about two years ago. I just assumed 
I had worked my way to this point. I now own a house. I'm taking care of my family. I'm just a hard worker. And then I started to be around people who kind of questioned that and pushed on me and said, have you thought about the fact that maybe you got a little bit of a head start in life? What do you mean? My dad's a construction worker. My mom's a waitress. Well, think back on your life. How many times have you been given a push in the right direction from people around you financially, relationally? All of us enjoy those benefits. Those that camp out on the Proverbs being so simple forget about that and they think the reason I am where I am is only because I work hard. There's some truth to that, but you miss a lot if you camp out there. So we need a simple view. Us parents need a simple view, but we need more than that. So here's our next question. What is the wise view of rich and poor? I wrote this, the reasons and reality for wealth and poverty are complex, nuanced, and multidimensional. Meaning don't camp out on this work hard, make money, don't work hard, you're poor stuff. That's part of it, but add some layers to it. So I want to look at a few Proverbs here that get to this. This is what Matt just read for us. But the first verse he read was, Better is a poor person who walks in his integrity than one who is crooked in speech and is a fool. Here's the reality that Proverbs kind of tries to unearth for us. Poor people. The temptation is going to be to put aside your character for the sake of getting enough to provide what you need. In other words, lie, steal, cheat. Proverbs gets that for a lot of people, it would be easier if they could just steal a little to get to poverty level. Like, a lot of us don't have that dilemma in our head. Do I want to steal? Should I? Like, I've never been faced with that. It, it, po Pro Proverbs unpacks. There's, there's more to the story. Don't camp out on your simplistic views. The next one says, wealth brings many new friends, but a poor man is deserted by his friend. Proverbs talks a lot about this. Rich people have lots of friends. Poor people have a hard time keeping and maintaining and getting new friends. Like, there's some truth to that. On the drive over, I was thinking, if Aubrey was to blow it and leave me and make the worst decision of her life and my life just tumbled, <laughs> who would take me in if I was at rock bottom? And I could rattle off two dozen people like that, family and friends. This foster care and adoption crisis, the core of the issue is a lot of these kids who get graduated out, their list is zero. Or their list is one or two people that they should never be living with because they're not going to help. And I just have all these people that would take me. I have all these friends. And I'm not super wealthy. But there's a reality to the, just the quality of life beyond the checkbook that Proverbs wants us to see. You go to the next one. Matt read this one also. Many seek the favor of a generous man, and everyone is a friend to a man who gives gifts. All a poor man's brothers hate him. How much more do his friends go far from? He pursues them with words, but he does not have them. Poverty is more than just you don't have enough money. It's a lifestyle that seems crippling and seems like a hole you can't get out of. Riches is more than just money. Whether you realize it or not, you've got a lot going in your favor when you land in the rich and the wealthy department that the folks over here don't enjoy. That's just the reality Proverbs is trying to massage out as you walk through this book. 
There's a book we used to carry on the book stand called When Helping Hurts. It's like a Christian perspective on helping the poor. But in it, they quote people they've interviewed in other countries who are stricken by a lot of poverty, just to like get a picture of what it's like. So I'm going to read some of these. They won't be on the board. It said this, when I don't have any food to bring to my family, I borrow mainly from neighbors and friends. I feel ashamed every time as I stand before my children when I have nothing to help feed the family. I am not well when I'm unemployed. This is terrible. That's somebody from Papua New Guinea. Another one says, we cannot afford to invite anyone to our house and we feel uncomfortable visiting others without bringing a present. The lack of contact leaves one depressed, creates a constant feeling of unhappiness and a sense of low self-esteem. Again, it's more than just the money in the bank. And then this is uh, from South America. This person says, the indigenous people's destiny is to always be poor. Like our Native Americans, the equivalent of that says, our destiny is to be poor. I can't relate to that at all. And some people's reality is, this is just our lot in life. And it's sad. And there's reasons for it that are way more complex than just, they should have worked harder in high school to get to college, to get a better job. It's nuanced, it's complex, there's a lot, lot to it. Again, this does not negate the simple view of the rich and poor, but it adds depth and complexity to it. So three things I want to see, I think I have a slide for this. What we need for a wise view of rich and poor. So just some wisdom that I, I think I'm pulling from the book of Proverbs. Here's the first one. Wealth is better than poverty. Proverbs does not say the goal is for all of us to get on the same impoverished level so we can enjoy God in this monastic sort of way. A lot of church history is marked by these monastic sort of thoughts and philosophies where the, the goal of life is to remove themselves from all possibility of riches. That's not a biblical statement. Genesis starts with a lavish party that God creates for Adam and Eve. And if you think back to Adam and Eve, as you think about God's view, was his view for them to be lacking or to be in abundance of whatever it is they wanted? Abundance. As you think of Jesus now, what is he enjoying right now? Is he lacking? In the New Jerusalem, it says he's walking on golden streets. The story of the Bible is not one where poverty rules the day and runs out for eternity. Poverty is a part of the broken world we currently inhabit. And there's principles to learn while dealing with this reality. Like money should not get a total grab on us. But wealth is better than poverty, Proverbs says. The way they use the language is, a wealth, the wealth for the man is like a strong city. The poverty for a man is like a, the city in ruins. Meaning there's, the strong city is our goal. Not a city in ruins. Now, that doesn't mean we need to go out and all strive to be as rich as possible. But just theologically, that's the foundation we need to be working from. Next one is this. It's far more complicated than you get what you deserve. That is there, no doubt. And the reason why so many of us are annoyed with millennials all the time is the fact that they don't have an ethos of you get what you deserve. But it's far more complicated than that. There are rich, righteous people. There are rich, evil people. There are rich, unrighteous people and evil, unrighteous people. And there's no easy way to connect all the dots all the time to say, well, I, I see how they landed in this camp. 
Sometimes people are just poor. The book of Job comes after this, and it's a way to kind of add more texture to our wisdom conversation to say, we really don't have all the answers. But it's more complex than just righteous, wealthy. Unrighteous, you're poor. Sorry. Next one. Wealth and poverty differences involve far more than just income. What do I mean by that? The, the, the life of someone who is poor or in poverty is fundamentally different than someone with wealth. And it involves more than just their money, their bank account. It's their friendships, it's their networks. I was reading an article on healthcare for black women. And just, if you look at just numbers, infant mortality rates for black women is far worse than white women. And they're like trying to unpack why. And the thing they keep landing on is this socioeconomic piece. There's something to this life that's easier with money. And there's something about this life that's fundamentally harder and seemingly more unfair when you lack that. And if we're going to be faithful to the book of Proverbs and truly gain wisdom, we need more than just work harder, buddy. There's a, there's a multifaceted nature to this whole thing. We need wisdom. Here's our next question I want to jump to. Got it. How should the rich love the poor? So we got the simple view, the wise view. Okay, in light of that, how should, if I'm rich, I'll admit it, I'll raise my hand, I'm on the richer end. How should I love the poor? Here's what I've gathered. Number one is, assume you have wisdom to gain in this area. The book of Proverbs says, if you are proud, God stops listening. It's like my older guy friends who have hearing aids, which sound like a dream at some point where you can go. <laughs> oh, you were, were you just talking? Yeah, I was just talking. Assume you have wisdom. Assume you haven't arrived. Assume you're not the expert on F Facebook Here's just one of the things I can't figure out on Facebook. There are so many economic experts all over my Facebook feed. <laughs> Anytime American policy and finances and economic policy comes up, some people have all the answers. And then I love some of my other friends bring in like, well, what about in Denmark? And these people are also experts on how economics works in every other country because they have a rebuttal for why we shouldn't do it like that because X, Y, Z. Nobody knows that much. Like, when did we think, you know what? This whole economic thing, this gross national product, taxate, just, you know, everything involving money ever. I got this nailed. <laughs> got it nailed. Shut up. <laughs> Get off Facebook. Get out of my life. <laughs> Just assume maybe you're missing something. I'm mad at that guy, those guys because I'm that guy. I was a staunch Republican, white kid, had all the answers, knew everything. And then I start to meet people who aren't like me, and they start to question and poke. And I'm like, wow, I don't know everything. Gosh, I thought I was 21 years old. I had arrived, but apparently I've got something to learn. Everyone's in the same boat as me. <laughs> Number two, and this one just 
is not so much explicitly said in Proverbs, it's the ethos of the Bible. Discover the assets the poor already have. We don't parachute into poor environments, poor families, poor situations with a checkbook and our cape on and then fly off. There's a lady in Phoenix who runs this ministry called Neighborhood Ministry. She grew up in Scottsdale, grew up wealthy, and she had this kind of dissonance early in her teen years and decided, I want a different life. So she moved to the inner city, and she's been helping the poor there ever since. But she takes churches like ours through a training, and it's called asset-based development. And if you're going to help a community, an ethnicity, a type of person, a neighborhood, whatever it is, she makes you do this asset-based evaluation first, meaning you go to that neighborhood and you find all the assets, meaning pluses in the bank account, that already exist there without any of our doing. So that includes money, that includes relational equity, that includes stories, that includes depth and richness and beauty of relationships already there. And she's usually taking suburban churches there. And she wants us to see, oh, we're not needed here. God's been working here in and through these people for a while. But how could we come along and partner? Maybe it's a financial thing, maybe not. But find the assets first. Here's the other one. Be wise and generous with the assets you have been given. Proverbs does not say just be loosey-goosey, writing checks to everyone. It clearly doesn't say that. Because it says all the time, with sloths and un- people not willing to work, there's a way you go about it. That book I mentioned earlier, When Helping Hurts, it kind of talks about here's three buckets that our giving should be considered in. Relief is short-term, it's temporary, and it's seldom. Meaning something has happened catastrophic in this person's life, in this community, and they need relief. They need quick help relief. Houston was this. My next-door neighbor got in his truck and drove to Houston after the hurricane. Relief. It's temporary. It's quick. It's a way to help. That's what our benevolence is here at this church. We have an amount that we give out to people who need relief. Quick, temporary. It's not for your millennial who needs a pedicure. It's for people who need (laughs) help. Rehabilitation is now a little step for it's getting people back to the level they were at before whatever happened. So the big one in the New Testament talked about a lot is with women in their marriage or not marriage. So if they've been left or abandoned, they say the church should come around widows and orphans. But then the New Testament passage says if you're a younger widow or divorcee, you should marry to kind of get back to a financial stability that you had before. That rehabilitation is walking for a little bit of time. This would be foster care where the goal is to get the kids back into their original setting. Like it's just, that I, they can do it. I'm with the parents. I'm walking alongside. I'm helping re- rehabilitate this situation. And then finally, there's development. This is where even their standard, the baseline these people are working with is unfair. This is a lot of our foster care situation. This is a lot of what I experienced when I was a high school teacher in the black community in terms of education, in terms of fatherlessness. There's a, there's a baseline that they haven't even reached that would make it fair for them to proceed forward. So as a church, we try to help in all those areas. We're going to have a Christmas offering coming up that's going to offer relief, all those things. We're going to fill up our benevolence fund. 
we're going to give to our sister church, Redemption Alhambra, which is at 19th and McDowell, which is like the highest crime rate in Phoenix. And they have a learning center there that they're trying to beef up and add more stuff to to help the community around them grow and prosper and develop. And we're going to give to Juarez. Some of you have been to Juarez. We're going to give to Juarez. They're building another building there in the area where we go and serve them. So just if you want practical steps, here's how it works in our family. We don't walk around with a checkbook just dishing out money. I did last week, but it was a weird week for me. I had to because I was preparing. (laughs) Wanted to have some integrity. You give to the church as a baseline. And me and my wife start to add every year a percentage that goes up. And then we give to a few other ministries that we feel are doing good work. And you have this proactive foundation to how you're giving, which is a lot of how you guys give. And then you have opportunity to react to needs to give in more substantial ways throughout the year. There was an RC leader that emailed me and said, our RC really wants to gift, give gifts for Christmas for a lot of kids. Can you connect me with who would be helpful? And I connect them with a group home, and they're going to bless the socks off some foster kids. So you've got to start a baseline giving, pair up with ministries that are doing it well and in a wise way. And then as more opportunities come, ask the Spirit to make you generous. He hasn't yet because my generosity is still on the bottom, but I'm slowly looking for opportunities to give in an ongoing way. So that's what that is. Now here's my last question for us. What's God's desire for both the rich and poor? Does he just want rich people and poor people to land at the same spot, a la socialism and communism? Is that God's desire? No. Is this part of God's heart? Absolutely. He wants to help the poor and develop the poor, and he wants to use those who he's blessed a lot to make this happen. But at the core, Seth started off our Proverbs series and it was great. And he was kind of given an overview. Of what's, what's the deal? What are we doing here? And he said this, this quote here. Fear of the Lord is a hyper awareness of God. And as I read through Proverbs multiple times this last week, especially looking at the money ones, God wants a fear of the Lord in all of our money dealings. God wants us to be hyper aware of him in all of our dealings with money. Whether you're poor and the temptation is to cheat and steal, he says, no, 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 think about me, think about me. Keep your integrity. Or you're rich and the temptation is to forget God. No, 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 stop. Think about me, think about me, think about me. And out of the heart, give. I had a conversation with a gentleman here. I didn't grow up in church, so it's, I, I kind of was Catholic-y, but it wasn't like that's my church. It was my nonna's church that she dragged us to. Um, And I've only been in churches that I love. And a lot of you have been in churches that you don't love. And this guy was describing this church. He's like, there's just something different about this church. I'm like, what is it? He's like, grace. I'm like, don't all churches believe in grace? He's like, yeah, but the majority of people I meet here get grace. Like more than just to get them to heaven. They understand grace. God's love and mercy and movement towards us that we, they just, they just get it. And you feel it. That's all this proverb is saying. Do you get that? Do you understand that all of us need grace? Whether poor or rich, what makes us breathe is His grace. What gives us full bank accounts is His grace. What saved us is His grace. God gives Himself. He is generous. Those words, give, generosity, grace, are all basically the same word. God is gracious. 
towards us? Are you hyper aware of his graciousness as you interact and try to engage the poor? I'm going to end on this passage and let it sit on us a little bit. This is the last one Matt read. This is just a good promise to try to camp out on for a while. He says this, whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord and he will repay him for his deeds. What's your picture of God as you read that? Is he a stingy old man withholding? Or is he a gracious, loving father who is giving and keeps on giving to you? Whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord and he will repay him for his deeds. God is gracious. We all need his grace. And those of us who have been given abundance, especially in money, should pass it on. Let's pray. Father, thank you for Proverbs, which speaks uh, pithy truth in a world that claims to have all the truth. God, thank you for the book of Proverbs that speaks countercultural truth in a world that acts like they got everything nailed. God, none of us have this generosity thing nailed. We all have a hard time believing that letting go of our stuff is the best way to live. Yet we get you as a picture and as an example who gave away it all, who gave away his son so that we sinners might have life. And now you say, ask, keep asking. So God, we want to know you more as a generous father. We want to experience other people in our lives through this generosity as well. God, help this church be a people that fans the flame of generosity. It's here, Lord. You have given it to us. We are a generous people. God, fan that flame even more through the teaching of your word and the gathering of your saints. We love you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.